Good morning, everybody. Oh, I love that hymn. We have a split scripture reading this morning, starting in Galatians 5, verse, or, uh, chapter 5, verse 22, and Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against you, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Philippians. Because I'd love to have you read this just out of your own text. You can see it on the screen as well if you're not looking at a Bible. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, this is an interesting attitude. Much different than the attitudes of the world. And we, as Christians, would say this is where we need to be. This is the kind of attitudes that we need to have. We need to express this in our lives. What's interesting as you look at this passage is to ask the question, where does this come from? Where do these attitudes come from? Encouragement, for example. Look at the text. If there's any encouragement, it says, and then it says from being united with Christ. And so it's specifically because I'm united with Christ that encouragement comes into my life. It says comfort. If there's any comfort in your life. And then it says from his love. And then it says if there's any fellowship. It's in the spirit that the fellowship takes place. Which means that encouragement, comfort, fellowship, what it means for me to live in Jesus Christ comes directly from my relationship with Christ. It comes directly from Christ himself. And so simply put, you could say this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And if you look at Philippians 2.5, that's exactly what that says. So when we ask ourselves the question about what it means for us to live in the kingdom of God, what it means for us to live like Christians, we're going to live like Jesus with the attitude that comes directly from Christ in the way that he lived himself. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, 
we want these things to be part of our lives. We've seen them in you. We know they were there. And we want them to be part of us. And so, Father, as we think today about what it means to live like you, help us, Father, to be blessed by the presence of your spirit, transformed in the renewing of our minds as we exemplify you. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. For weeks now, we've been going through a study on the post-resurrection experiences of Jesus and how that impacted the apostles and, and then ultimately impacts us. This morning, something new. I'm starting a new series. It won't be a very long one, but I'm starting a new series specifically on the fruit of the Spirit. If you were in my class this morning, you would have heard quite a discussion about fruit of the Spirit, spirituality, the Holy Spirit, and relationship to the kingdom, and the way that that needs to be shown in our church. And I'm absolutely convinced that this is so much the heart of what it means for us to be Christian. So when I go through this text, I see these kind of things. A like-mindedness within the church, where we find ourselves thinking a lot of like, a lot of like because we are, in fact, spiritual creatures following after the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is alive in us, he's going to create among us a, like, a like-mindedness. The same love, the text says. We're going to have the same powerful love that is in Christ Jesus as the Spirit works among us. One in spirit and purpose, this text in Philippians says. As we are united together in our focus because of the Spirit working among us. In humility, we value others above ourselves, which again is such a different attitude than the the way that the world expresses itself. And then not looking to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Such a strange thing, really, in our world today, for us to not look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And again, I think this is right at the heart of what it means for us to be Christians. I remember several years ago, uh, Tony Campolo tells a story about being on a bus in Los Angeles. And it was uh, during the course of the Vietnam War. Campolo noticed a couple of guys on the bus with him. Noticed that there was something a little bit different with one of them. And in the course of the bus ride, all of a sudden, the one that was closest to the aisle began to uh, be very spasmodic in his actions. And he was kind of flopping around, couldn't control himself, ended up in the aisle of the bus. And of course, you can imagine the furor, the bus driver had to pull over, this fellow was having this major problem, and his buddy, who was in the seat with him, was trying to help him, and helped him through the incident, eventually got him back into his seat, and the bus ride continued. But as the bus ride continued, all of a sudden, the fellow who had helped the other one stood up, and he looked at the rest of the people on the bus, and he said, when I was in Vietnam, and I was injured... He could have left me for dead. But he risked his own life. And he grabbed me. And he carried me out of there. And because he carried me out of there, I'm still alive today. And he said, in light of what he did for me, I sold my house when I found out that he had trouble. And I moved out here to Los Angeles and I moved in with him and I take care of him now 
Because after what he did for me, there isn't anything that I wouldn't do for him. And when I think of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us, there isn't anything that we wouldn't want to do for Jesus. And if Jesus wants us to live lives in our world of love and compassion, and it means for us self-sacrifice, then it makes sense to me that that's what we would do. And if, for example, Jesus was to make love preeminent in our lives, which I think he does, then I think Jesus calls us to love. And so the point is that Jesus calls you to love as the preeminent virtue that the Holy Spirit creates in your life. And if you look at those verses from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that's exactly what you'll see. You'll see that it ends up with Jesus in verse 5 being the perfect example of the sacrificial love that Christ wants for us to live in our world as well. And so while we're trying to conform to the life of the Spirit, while we're trying to be what God wants us to be, it's so clear to me that love becomes that preeminent virtue that begins to dominate the way in which we live. Now, I could read lots of passages in the New Testament this morning that talk about love. Um, I love the, the passage in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, that talks about love as the fulfillment of faith. But that's just one of those. The one that I, I think I love most in terms of the way it speaks directly to the issue of love exemplified in our lives is the passage that's already been read this morning. This one from Colossians. The first part of the verse, beginning with verse 12, reads like this. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Sounds just like the fruit of the Spirit passage from Galatians 5.22. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. But then it finishes with these words that are on the screen. And I love the way that love itself becomes the preeminent virtue. And over all these virtues. So you've got here mentioned already previously... Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. And then he says, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Just imagine what it would be like if we as Christians were able to carry this out and to bind in our lives all of those other virtues, forgiveness and gentleness and kindness, and bind all those virtues together with this wonderful epitome of it all, love. Displayed to the world, ultimately, in the love of Jesus. And we pattern ourselves after the sacrifice that he made in order to become what the world needs. There's at least two ways in which this would impact us hugely if we were to do this. The first is this. 
It must control. The impact would be if it could control the way in which we treat one another. The impact would be absolutely monumental. Just think about this. Think about if you were to never have in your, the rest of your life ever any kind of grievance with another Christian ever. What if there was just perfect unity within the body of Christ? I remember one time speaking at a, a meeting in Silverdale, Washington. And Silverdale is a base of military operations. There's a huge U.S. military base there, a naval base. They have, they used to, uh, I think they've retired battleships there. This is a place where submarines uh, often are housed. So there's a lot of retired military personnel in addition to just the military bases. So when I went to speak at Silverdale, I was staying with one of the elders and, you know, he had conversations with me. And, and one of the personal conversations that he had with me one night when I was there is he was describing for me a, a business meeting that they had. And sometimes business meetings are fine, sometimes not so good. And so this church in Silverdale had this meeting several years ago. And there were several retired military personnel there in addition to the elders and those in the congregation. After the meeting, one of the retired military guys who had been, a, he was an ex-Green Beret, was decorated with honors, that kind of thing. I remember him, the uh, elder describing for me just exactly who this guy was. He took the elder aside after the meeting and he said, I disagree with you, and I'm furious with you, and I have killed people with my bare hands, and I just want you to know. Now, how do you reply to that? <laughs> that, folks, is a problem. And while I recognize, maybe, the prowess in this person's life for being able to take matters literally into his own bare hands, I don't think that's the way that Jesus wants us to interact with each other. There's something really ungodly about that. There's something evil about that. I don't expect us to agree on everything. I think there's room for disagreement within the body of Christ. But as a Christian, I expect that we're going to treat each other with love and respect. So recently, we were having a discussion in one of our elders' meetings. And a subject came up about which I know that there is disagreement. I know that there are strong feelings on the topic. And honestly, I was expecting some fireworks. I didn't think that afterward anybody would come and say that they should maybe take me with their bare hands. But I thought maybe there would be some fireworks. But when the time came, although there was disagreement, what I heard throughout the meeting was the language of love. There were no harsh words. There were no runaway tempers. No one questioned anyone else's desire to serve Christ. And this is exactly as it should be. Because love has to bind together all the virtues of Christianity into perfect harmony. And that's exactly what we should see among our elders. And that's what I saw. 
There is no room in the body of Christ for rudeness. There's no room in the body of Christ for bullying. There's no room in the body of Christ for insisting on one's way. Because this is not the same attitude that Christ had. And so one of the things that needs to happen for sure always in the body of Christ is that we put on and lift up this virtue of love as a dominant characteristic among us. And when people say, what is the church of Christ all about? It has to be one of those elements that they say, that's them. They love each other. You should hear them talk to each other when they're angry. It's the most beautiful sound. Because they treat each other with love and respect, even when there is disagreement. That needs to characterize us. Secondly, we must let love completely govern our interactions with people outside the body of Christ. One of the things I love about working with Chris and Peter is the way in which they treat the homeless who come into our building. Like all of you should have an opportunity sometime to just be here when someone who's homeless comes to our building for food. And it happens numerous times a week. And you would think that sooner or later we'd get tired of that. We have things to do. We're busy people. I never have the sense from Chris Bailey that she has been interrupted because someone comes for food. In our building. She treats them with grace. She treats them with respect. She treats them exactly the way I would want to be treated. If I were in that place. And it's, it's not always easy. Like after you've seen the same person six or seven times. And they've come for food. You know as well as I do. There's a kind of callousness that could well set in. But I don't see it. I see love and grace and patience and ministering, and that's as it should be. Recently, Hope Pollock had somebody ask her why it is that I keep sending new people to their life group. The answer is because I know exactly how those new people are going to be treated when they go to that life group. And so I... I welcome the opportunity to send people to that life group. I know how they're going to be treated. They're going to be loved. They're going to be cared for. They're going to be embraced. And that's exactly the message that we need to send to new people and to people who, who are from the world who come and join us. And it's exciting to be able to, to send them there, knowing that that's how they're going to be treated. Last week, the teens were going to YC, this large youth gathering in Edmonton. There was a new teen on the van that I didn't recognize. I hadn't seen her before. I think she was related to, Glenn, to you, Glenn, your niece or something. I hadn't met her, so I thought, well, I'm going to go over and make her feel good about being there. And so I, as they were getting ready to leave, I kind of stuck my head into the van and, and started goofing around with the teens and you know, being a bit silly and you know, wanting to make this girl feel at home. And then I noticed... That Brenham Rippenhagen was sitting next to the girl. And I was immediately at ease. And immediately pleased. Because I knew how Brenham was going to treat that new girl. And I don't know who can be more cliquish and harder for a new person to work herself into than a group of teenage girls. That's not an easy thing. 
But when I saw Brenham sitting next to her, I knew that everything was going to be okay. And we have something to learn from Brenham about what it means to love others. So I'm taking some liberty here with Paul this morning. I want to read something from 1 Corinthians 13. We know that as the love chapter. I've put in a few words of my own. And I know we're not supposed to alter scripture. Scripture is still there. It's just that I put a few words in. You'll see what I mean. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, and if I've been an elder in the Lord's church for 40 years, but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, it can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith, that can move mountains. And I'm every year the biggest financial contributor to our mission trip, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I might boast and have 15 times a year presided at the Lord's Supper, but don't have love, I gain nothing. If I support missionaries in five different places around the world, and if I'm the one who paid for the new new nursery, and if it was my idea to start the women's ministry, but I have not love, I'm like a tree that bears no fruit. If I'm in church 52 Sundays a year, say the sweetest public prayers ever uttered, and sing like Frank Sinatra, but hold bitterness against my brother who really did me wrong four years ago, I'm like a freezer-burned bread. If my comments in class are always insightful, if I can organize a supper for the teens like a professional caterer, or if I can quote the entire Sermon on the Mount, but I have not love, I'm like squealing feedback through our sound system. (laughs) Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't gossip about the elders. It doesn't hold grudges against the ministry leader who overlooked you. It doesn't take offense because the color of the tile is not what you would have picked. It doesn't throw a tantrum because the group of immigrants who meets in our building left your classroom dirty. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And now these three remain, Paul says, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I intentionally pick things this morning in my uh, reading of that scripture that I don't think connect to any specific situation in our church family. I don't know anyone who's complained about their classroom being left dirty. I don't know who was offended at the color of the tile choice. So please don't think I'm picking on you. Those were all just pulled out of the air. But you get the point about love. And the way in which it is supposed to be among us. It has to, it has to impact our relationships in the body of Christ and with those in the world. And if it doesn't impact us in that way then the Holy Spirit is not creating among us the fruit that the Spirit needs to produce. And we become clanging cymbals and noisy gongs and not at all those who speak on behalf of Jesus. 
I'm so blessed to be part of a church family where God is working. Where he's doing things. And one of the things I see him doing among us is creating the fruit of the spirit, love. And as God continues to produce that, the impact we're going to have on those around us is going to blow us all away. I pray God continues to bless us in that way. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you for the privilege we have of being here this morning. Thank you for the privilege we have of being your servants. Thank you, God, for loving us like you do. Help us to respond in kind by loving. Help us to make sacrifices for you. Help us not to look toward what we want, but toward what others want. Help us to keep a rein on our tongues and to say those things that are kind and helpful and build others up. And Father, where we need to be changed, change us. Where we need to open ourselves to others in order to love them, open us. Make us all that we can be in you. I pray through Jesus. Amen.